Well, I tell you something, you're going to know that you have died and gone to heaven when Russ Hamilton and Daryl Krim can sing like that. Okay. <laughs> right, brother? <laughs> uh, it ain't going to happen on this side, though, I can, I can tell you. I can, I can tell you that. Ooh, glory. You know, in a, in a few minutes, I think, I don't know how far I'll get, but... Uh, in, in a few minutes, I, I'm going to share with you a few things that I remember. And uh, as we look together in Philippians chapter 1, as Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, uh, I'll share with you some of those things that I remember. But since Andy has just sung, I'll, I'll have to tell you one of the things that I had already had in my mind. I didn't know he was singing. Matter of fact, folks, there's a whole lot I don't know about this weekend, okay, and, and really I could, I could spend the next 30 minutes and at least telling you the things that I did not know that have just been absolutely humbling and uh, deeply, deeply gratifying uh, and surprising. So I, I don't think this is the time that I can go there right now because I've got a sermon that I want to share with you, and but but thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, getting back to Andy, okay, getting back to Andy, that'll help me kind of get, get on track here. But I'll, Andy, I was opening up a file while I'm cleaning things out. I, I went to my marriage file, and the first one, as I make record of, I have a copy made of my marriage certificates and so forth, the stuff that I have to mail into the courthouse, the first one in my file from 29 years ago was Andy and Deidre Stevens. And, and I'm going to share some holy moments with you in a little while, but one of those that are characterized as a holy moment was they came to my office. It was a Thursday morning, I believe it was, somewhere around 11 o'clock. I'm not real sure of the specific time. They came by the office, and they had two friends. Andy had a friend. DJ had a friend. We walked up here. We stood right there. Nobody else. Nobody else. No big wedding. Not a lot of fanfare. Not a lot of expense. Not a lot of hoopla. It was just two folks that love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, all their strength, and they wanted to come together in holy matrimony, and stood right here, they exchanged their vows, I pronounced them man and wife, and they kissed, and it was a holy moment, and, and uh, anyway, We'll get into some more of that in just a moment. I want you to look with me in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, I want to read verses uh, uh, 1 through 11. And I'm going to do some, I'm going to change some wording here. And, and I believe I've got God's permission on this. Uh, I don't make it a habit of changing what God's word is in here. But I, I believe in order for you to kind of feel this, the significance of, of this message that Paul and Timothy had as the Holy Spirit stirred within 
Paul's life and he used those life experiences and the relationship that he had with this church in Philippi over an 11-year time period, I, I want you to know that these messages that God gives to us are not just black and white words on, on a printed page, but they come out of real life. They come out of real life. And God's got a message for us for real life from his word. And so for that reason, so you kind of feel a little bit about what I feel in sharing this message with you, I'm going to change some words, okay? They're, they're, they, these come from Paul and Timothy, but I'm going to change that to say Daryl and Susan Be, because while they had an 11-year relationship with the church in Philippi, Susan and I multiplied that almost times three. And, and, and so we... we this, these words, with the exception of him being in prison, okay? <laughs> we haven't been in prison together. Now, <laughs> now that's another story, but, but I have visited people in prison, okay? Okay, but so when I get to the part about being in prison, then just, just realize that truthfully we've never been there, okay? But... There's still a message in all of this. And so I'm going to read it in the context of it coming from Susan and I. Daryl and Susan, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in North Roanoke Baptist Church, including the staff, the overseers, and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank our God in all our remembrance of you, Always, I tried this earlier. <laughs> I'm going to get through this, okay? And I think we'll be all right. I think we'll be all right once we get past this. We, we, uh, we thank our God in all our remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in our every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for us to feel this way for you because we have you in our heart, since both in our imprisonment and uh, in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with us. For God is our witness how we long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus and this we pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, until or having been filled with the truth of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this, uh, this opportunity to kind of shift the, uh, the focus off of Susan and I and get it on to you. What an amazing God you are. And uh, we've come here today. Um, Susan and I are certainly grateful 
for the uh, recognition and the affirmation and all that you have are expressing to us. But Heavenly Father, ultimately and right now, through your word, we want to not come short of uh, worshiping you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so as, as we look at these words together this, this morning, uh, I, I, I originally kind of was drawn to this passage of scripture because of that third verse where it talks about, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. I was kind of drawn to this passage of scripture because of that. But the more I kind of got it in here and started running it over in my mind and Susan and I talked a little bit more than what we usually do about my sermons, uh, about this one, a, a lot has just kind of come, come to the surface. And the more I thought about it and the more I reflected upon these first couple of verses, the greeting, the greeting that Paul gives to these, to these people like you, okay? And, and, and he, he, he says to us, first of all, what I want you to understand is what I want to share with you that this morning I want to leave you with an encouraging word. Uh, you, you guys have, have been such an encouragement to us, and, and God has been such an encouragement to us, and these relationships have been such an encouragement, and if there's any, any real source of encouragement that God gives to us, it's through this. So I want to, I want to take this, and I want these to be encouraging words. And, and the first direction I want to go to here is these first couple of, couple of verses and I want you to hear in this our, Susan and I, our desire for you, our desire for you. Before we get into this remembrance stuff, what is our desire? If, if, if I were to, I could not put it more succinctly and, and accurately and to extract all that's within here and all that's within my life, my desire for you, not only corporately, but individually. And, and three words, there's three key words that express our desire for you. And those three words could be summarized in these three, saints, grace, and peace. Saints, grace, and peace. What do I mean by saints? Here's what he says. This is, this is Susan and I, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Roanoke and specifically North Roanoke Baptist Church. As I thought about this concept of, of, of sainthood, okay, sainthood, okay, here's my desire for you, here's our desire for you, that you see yourself as God sees you. That you see yourself as God sees you. And the way God sees you is as his saints, his saints. This, this term, the more I thought about this term, this, this term, this, this idea about being a saint, it, it gets right down into your identity. Who do you see yourself as being? Do you see yourself as a saint of God? Most of us, most of us would humbly say, I'm not a saint. Am I right? Most of us would say that. I'm not a saint. 
As, as a matter of fact, you know, we, we kind of get, we got this concept of sainthood all distorted and it's gotten off track. I, I've, I've, over these 29 years, I've probably told you this story, but maybe some of y'all are at the age that I am and you've forgotten if I have, so I'll tell it again, okay? And, 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 and so there's the story about this, this, this preacher that was in this small little town and, and, and the meanest, most contrary, most vain, immoral, low-down scoundrel of a man died. And there was nobody in the town. He never went to church, and there was nobody in the town to preach his funeral. And so they, these two boys, the two sons of this man, they came up to him, and they said to the preacher, we want you to do the funeral. And they pulled out several $100 bills. And they said, we want you to do the funeral for our dad provided one condition, that you call our father a saint. Well, the preacher took the money, as any good preacher would. <clears throat> That's a good lesson for you, Brother Daniel. Take the money. So anyway, he took the money. He took the money, and... and he got into the pulpit and he started to preach the sermon about this guy. And here's what he said. This man that lies before you is the lowest down, most crooked, contrary, vile, vain, filthy mouthed man in all this county. But compared to his two sons, <laughs> he was a saint. He was a saint. Now, see, here's where we go. Here's where we go with this thing. We start establishing sainthood, comparing people to people. I might be a saint compared. <laughs> I'll pick on you again, brother, brother Russ, okay? I might be a saint compared to Russ Hamilton. You know, I might be a saint compared to somebody else. As a matter of fact, I, I did some study on this stuff. I found out that to be declared a saint in the Catholic Church, there are 12 steps, 12 steps to sainthood, 12 criteria that have to be met for a person to be considered a saint and to establish sainthood. I'm not going to go through all 12 of those, but here's one of them. They call it post-humus miracles. Now, I didn't know what in the world that was. <laughs> I had to look that up. What in the world is a post-humus miracle? Some of you guys already know. You're more intelligent than I am. But it's, it's a miracle that's performed by a guy or a person, because there's women saints too. I use it generically there. But it has to be a miracle performed by the individual after they die. In other words... After Daryl Cream dies, if I'm in the Catholic Church, after I die, if somebody prays to Daryl Krim for healing in the name of Daryl Krim and is instantaneous, that's one of the criteria, instantaneously documented as healing, not just temporarily, but goes for a period of time, and shows the evidence of complete healing, that's just one of those miracles. And then if somebody else, it might be in another area of the world, 
can give proof that they were healed or some other miracle transpired because of their calling out to Daryl Krim, then I would meet the criteria of being established like John Paul II as a saint. Now, so what we do is we get into this comparison stuff. How does one person compare to another? But I want you to see yourself as God sees you. The criteria here in the text that God wants us to see is that you are a saint. That which establishes you as a saint is your relationship to Jesus. The saints who are where? In, look at it, in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. That's who you are. And the way you get in Christ Jesus is like Christ Jesus into you. And when you bow your head and you humble yourself before Jesus and you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. When you do that, Jesus gets into you and God puts you into Jesus. And now God sees you in Jesus and God sees you as a saint. Now, that's your identity. That's who you are from God's point of view. This gets down to the nuts and bolts of everyday life. Who do you see yourself as being? What does it take for you and I to see ourselves as people of significance? Does it mean that I have to prove myself to my peers through peer pressure to begin to do things that maybe my conscience or my parents would not have me to do, but I want to do it because I want to be viewed by them as somebody who's cool or somebody who's important or somebody. What do we have to have? What do, do we have to have some level of material things or drive a particular kind of car or wear some kind of particular clothes for people to look at us and to see us as somebody who is held in high esteem and have some sense of significance? When God says, you are my saint, I put you in Christ Jesus. That changes everything. I don't have to be who you want me to be. I want to please people. Susan and I have wanted to. We don't delight in making people mad, but ultimately my significance in life has not come out of, out of trying to please anybody. I don't, it doesn't, I don't get joy from making people mad, and no, neither do you. But what I'm trying to say is how important it is that we... A couple of weeks ago, I talked to a young man. I talked to a young man that was suicidal. And, and, and he's, he's a young adult. He, he's a man. He's a father. And, and, and we, we were talking to him, a, a friend of mine and I, and, and, and he was where he was because of, of, of suicidal tendencies and, and so forth. And, and I asked this young man, I said, how long, how long have you had these thoughts of wanting to commit suicide? He said, ever since I was a kid. Ever since I was a kid. And, and I said, why? Tell me, just be honest with me. I'm not trying to be hard on but just tell me why you feel that way. And he said, common response, common response that I hear from many. I've gotten to the place 
where I feel like the world would be a better place without me. Okay? Let me ask you this. I asked, I asked this guy this. And, and I mean, it went over his head. He, did, he didn't get it. I said, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself here today? Can you see yourself as a saint or not? How do you see yourself here today? I, 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 for, for years, I've seen myself. I've begun developing a, a, an image of who I am. And, and, and as I develop that image of who I am as a saint, as one who's been placed in Christ Jesus over these past 29 years as, as a saint, okay, no, no posthumous, I'm still living, okay, no posthumous, no, not even, what, living miracles, I've never done any of that stuff, other than leading people to be born again, there's no greater miracle than that, okay, and that's the work of God, but but how important it is, how important it is that we, that that is our identity. The person who sees themselves as, as God sees them in Christ Jesus, when they go to school, they'll be a different student. They'll relate to their friends in a different way. You and I will conduct our life in a different way. We'll have different sets of priorities. We'll, 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 we'll seek first the kingdom of God and let all this other stuff that's important in life, let him add that to our life. And so see yourself as, as, as his saints. The second thing, got to get rolling here. And this, this might, the wording of this is a little bit awkward to me because I never use this word this way. And that is to posture yourself as recipients of God's saving and sustaining grace. And, and, Paul, in every single one of his letters, every single one of his letters, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether he's writing the Romans or the Corinthians or the Ephesians or the Philippians or the Colossians or he's writing Timothy or he's writing Titus or Philemon or the Thessalonians, he's saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why those two words? Why those two words? Well, I'm saying to you, first of all, that word grace. That one word distinguishes Christianity and all this stuff that I've been preaching and all this stuff that Daniel preaches week after week after week after week. What we want you to see is that which distinguishes Christianity from every other religion on the face of the earth. Whether it's a formal religion that, that, that's out there or one that you've created in your own mind. Okay. The, the difference is the grace of God, the grace of God. And, and the grace of God, very simply stated, is the unmerited favor of God towards man. And so here's the question. How is it, how is it that I, <clears throat> how is it that you and I can position ourselves into the grace of God so that we are becoming, we, we live in the realm of the unfit. The, the unfavorable, I mean the unmerited favor of God towards you. And the key word that I could think of to help you catch this is the word, what's your posture? What's your posture? And James says this. James says, God is opposed to the proud. What is the posture of a proud person? The posture of a proud person is, I can do it by myself. The posture of a proud person is, I'll do it my way. 
doesn't make any difference what God says in his word, what God said through his son Jesus and coming down here and dying. doesn't make it. I'll still do it my way. That's the posture of a proud person, an intellectual posture of a proud person. The, the physical posture of a proud person is a person who won't get down on their knees in a broken condition and give their life and surrender to the Lord. That's the posture of a proud person. But the posture of a person who sets himself up to receive the grace of God, the unfavorable, I mean the unmerited favor of God towards us, is the posture of humility. What's the posture of humility? God, I give up. I'll show you. Here's the posture of humility right here. That's the posture of you. What happens? I am completely dependent on this pulpit right now. You pull this pulpit out, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to fall flat on my face. I, I, am, I, I, I am humbly dependent on this. Nothing on my own can help me right now except this pulpit. And when a person gets in that position, and I don't know where you are in your life, but this morning, if you're at that place in your life where you're willing to completely give it all to him and give up everything else, that's the posture of humility. And you put yourself right there where God wants you to be. You can add nothing. You can bring nothing. God's unmerited favor towards you. And here's the choice. Here's the choice. Do you want to live your life? Susan and I have have lived these 41 years of married life and these 29 years of serving you, we've lived these years under the grace of God. The grace of God. We, we, we honestly, and we know, we don't take credit for any of this. We know from whence we have come. We know how lost we were and where our lives would be, who knows today, without Jesus. But it's the, it's the unmerited favor of God that we have had an awesome marriage. That we've got an awesome family. That we've got an awesome church. And awesome relationships. And it's through the grace of God. And so we get down to the place where we have to make a decision. And the decision is, do I humbly want to put myself trusting in him that the unmerited favor of God upon my life is going to be better than the merited favor of Daryl Krim trying to make his own decisions and lead the life he wants to go in his own way? And I, because of the grace and distances of God, many years ago in my life, I said, God, I'm going to put myself over here, humbly trusting in you. He, he, that, that's that's, the, that's why, why this message of grace. Because it's the grace message that is at the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the good news. And until we grasp and understand and live in the grace of God, Christianity is just like any other religion. It becomes a burden becomes a burden. It'll be a list of rules and, and regulations apart from the transforming grace of God. I'm not going to be able to get into all this. Here's the, here's the second. Here's the third thing he says. That you experience every dimension of God's peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the divine order. It's a divine order. 
It's a God-inspired order. Grace, what follows grace? What follows grace? Peace. Peace. Three dimensions of this peace. Peace with God. Peace within. Peace with others. Peace with God. Peace within. Peace with others. Upward, inward, outward. That's the true peace of God. I'll never forget my, my buddy, my buddy from, from uh, Georgia days. Notice the ribbon on the paper, on the, on the flowers there. Some Georgia bulldogs there. But uh, my, my, my buddy from, from Georgia days came Friday night. And uh, we <laughs> reminisced a lot on, on what God has done for us. He's a pastor up in uh, Arlington, Virginia, at Cherrydale Baptist Church. And, and we reminisced a lot uh, about this. And, and I remember very vividly the night that he gave me a four spiritual law booklet and I went back to my dormitory and I read the four spiritual law booklet. I, I got the gospel. I prayed and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and my life. Laying there in Russell Hall on the 10th floor of Russell Hall and my roommate just four or five feet away from me, sound asleep, not knowing a thing about what's going on. I can't explain to you how in, in that moment I, I experienced the peace of God. I knew that things were right with God. I gave my life to him. And, and, and from that moment on, he's given me not only peace with him, but peace within. And when I got peace with God, then it, it, it just flows naturally to have peace with other people. And, and that's, that's, the all, that's the full dimensions of God's peace. And that's how you know that you've got God's peace when it's real, when it's genuine. And it's right with him. You know it because you've got peace in here. Then when, when you have peace in here, you have peace with others. Our remembrance of you. <clears throat> we thank God for our remembrance of you. And, and I'm going to change a little word here. <laughs> Do you see what the change is? Most. <laughs> <laughs> you see that most I, I, I now the good overweighs the bad okay but Paul only will know these folks for 11 years I've known you for 29 <laughs> Paul kind of came and went you know he kinda, he's kind of the evangelist you know he kind of visited for a while everybody then he left well I stayed okay and so our experience is a little bit different but I will say most of them have been favorable, okay? And most of them have been good. Let me just share a few things with you. First of all, I've got some of those challenging moments, okay? Some of those challenging moments. Uh, Brother Jake and I, we've been together a long time. And for years, church life didn't change. Music in the church didn't change for decades and generations. But guess what? Guess whose generation it changed in? In our generation. And there's a title for that, Worship Wars. All right? <laughs> Those were some of the most difficult years of our ministry, weren't they, Jake? We would get notes every single... Unsigned, you cowards. <laughs> you write me a note that you're unhappy and don't put your name on it, you're a coward. Right, Jay? Amen. 
We got those cowardly notes every single Sunday. Am I exaggerating? Every single Sunday. We, we wanted to blend the service. We wanted to throw a few good old hymns in there, and yeah, we wanted to kind of cater to the upcoming generation that's hearing all this great Christian music on, on uh, Spirit FM and on the radios and all that, and it's uplifting to Jesus, but it's different. It's different. So we thought, wow, we, gotta, we, gotta, we can't just forget about this younger generation, so we're going to blend the service. Thinking, thinking. That was not good thinking. <laughs> thinking that we'll just make everybody happy. Guess what we did? We made everybody mad. Mad. And they were mad at us for a long time. For a long time. We made it. I think. I think we have. <laughs> at least I'm out of here. <laughs> okay? <laughs> we made it this far. We made it this far, and, and, and I'm out of here, so I don't know what's going to break loose after I leave. But, but we have been through the worship wars, and those were difficult, but I'll tell you something else. You know how God uses those tough moments, don't you? What does he do with those difficult times in your life? Boy, he reaches down deep, and he says to you, Daryl, he says, what, why are you serving North Ronald Baptist Church? And I mean, we do a gut check. We do a gut check as to the authenticity and the reality of the calling of God upon our life and what he wants us to do in his church and where he wants us to lead. And those are stretching times. And I don't know where you are. It's probably not worship wars. You've got a whole other world that you're living in. But those things that you're dealing with in life, you're, many of you, if not all of you, are going through something in your life that's pulling you and stretching you. And those are times to deepen the roots and just see how real this relationship and this calling of being a saint is in the Lord. Well, I also think about some embarrassing moments. Embarrassing moments. You want to know what the most embarrassing moment of my... Susan knows what it is. This, this, this sanctuary was absolutely packed with not only children, but the parents of children... Because it was the concluding night of vacation Bible school. And we were all here together, and we were just having a big old time, and everybody shouting, having a good time. We decide that we are going to have a cheer for Jesus. Okay? And so here I am. I'm the pastor, and we got this other guy. I'm not going to mention any names. We got this other guy who's going to. You know, I'm going to call out a J, and he's going to make a J, you know. And, and then I'm going to call out a, uh, an E, and he's going to make an E. And, and, and so we got, we're leading it. And guess what? We are, give me a J. And I mean, everybody, J, give me an E, E, give me an S, S, give me an S. <laughs> I misspelled Jesus. I misspelled Jesus. Yes, that's just one of the most embarrassing moments. <laughs> the challenging moments, embarrassing moments, holy moments. And the holy moments are one like I just shared with you. When, when, when two people who truly love the Lord, they come together in nothing less than holy matrimony. That's a holy moment. 
It's a holy moment when a person in this congregation yields to the grace initiatives of God and says, Lord Jesus, I give up. Lord Jesus, I want you. I need you as my Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me the kind of person that you want me to be. That's a holy moment. It's a holy moment when a person walks down an aisle and publicly makes it be known to others where they stand with Jesus. And they want to unite with a local church, a body of believers. Those are holy moments. It's been holy moments when I've stood beside the bed of somebody who's a believer in a church. And they're literally breathing their last breath. And death for the believer is a holy moment. When you begin to wrap your head around and the mind that everything that they've been believing in and trusting in in Jesus, all their faith is about to be turned into sight as they breathe their last breath here and their first breath in heaven. That's a holy moment. And, and so we have remembrances of embarrassing moments, challenging moments, and holy moments. And there's a lot of things that Susan and I disagree on, okay? Uh, but there's certainly one thing that we have great confidence in. And that's how he closes out. He says, he says uh, this one thing, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Our confidence in you is actually, it's not in you. Where is it? It's in God. It's in the God who's at work in you. And here's the grounds for this confidence. God works in the church that generously and joyfully participates in the gospel. You know, that's an interesting word. That word participates is the word fellowship. It's the word that many of us have, that have been in church circles over our, it's the word koinonia. You ever heard that word? It, it makes reference to a, not just sitting down and, and eating dinner together or, you know, playing basketball together and you having fellowship with one another, but it, it, it goes a little deeper than that. It, it, it's kind of an exchange on, on, a, on a deeper level, of, of, of soul level. And he's talking about, we've got his confidence that, that, that God who began a good work in you is going to perfect it. And, and what is the good work that he did with, in them? The good work that he began in them was they began a fellowship with the gospel. And, 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 and Paul went to Philippi and he preached the gospel they heard the gospel. By faith, they embraced the gospel. They had fellowship with the gospel, and it began changing their life. I am so proud, and I'm so humbled, to hand the baton of the preaching of the gospel to Daniel Palmer. The first time I heard Daniel Palmer preach a sermon was online. And after I heard that sermon, I said to Susan, Susan, if this guy is called by North Roanoke Baptist Church as the pastor and the preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, after I leave, I want to be sitting on the front row. 
because this guy has a grasp and an understanding of the gospel. And I can guarantee you every single Sunday that you come to North Roanoke Baptist Church, you're not going to hear fancy little stories to entertain you. You're not going to hear even a bunch of jokes like the guy that, like the preacher that took the, the money, you know. Not that he won't have a few in there, but I'll guarantee you, and you can, you can count on this, that the friends that you bring here will hear the gospel. I am confident of that. And so, the grounds of this confidence is that God works in the church that generously and joyfully participates in the gospel. Not only did they receive it by faith individually, but collectively they had fellowship with the gospel and they joyfully and generously gave for the proclamation and the spread of the gospel. And if there's any guy that's got a vision for North Ronald Baptist Church giving generously and joyously, giving of your monetary gifts for the, for the proclamation of the gospel, not just here in, in, in Roanoke, but throughout the nations, it's Daniel Palmer. He's got that vision, and he'll lead you accordingly. Yes, God works in the church that generously and joyfully participates in the gospel. God works in the church that conducts herself in a, in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Only conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I'll hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind together for the faith of the gospel. I've known Daniel for six months. We've had numerous phone calls before he ever came, numerous meetings before him. Every church needs somebody. One of the most humbling, not one of the most, the most humbling, and I guess in a sense gratifying comments that people have made to me over these last couple of days is that they have shared with me that I've conducted myself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Jesus deserves that. That's just who I am as a saint. And Jesus deserves that from not only your leader, but every single member of North Roanoke Baptist Church. And God will continue to work in this church that conducts itself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And every church needs someone that helps them understand what that looks like. And I'm thankful not only that we've got a pastor to do that, but we've got a staff that does exactly the same thing. And we've got a group of church deacons that do exactly the same thing. And God will continue to work at North Roanoke Baptist Church as long as we conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And finally, God works in the church whose leadership is filled with the Holy Spirit. All kinds of things I could say about what's it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But absolutely, I'm confident of this. I sit with these folks every single Monday. We pray together in staff meeting. We see each other during the week. And you've got leadership who's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a blessing. 
Not every church has got that. But you've got that. And I'm thankful that as I leave, God's got people here. God's got staff members here. God's got deacons here that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I conclude with this concluding statement by Jude in verses 24 and 25. He says, Now to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God and Savior, Through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.